Well, my name is Matt. If you uh, don't know me, I think I know most of you. And uh, I'm the uh, music pastor here. And so uh, we're going to talk about worship and work uh, this morning. We're going to talk about what is worship and what is work. And um, are they just related to one another? Or are they really the same? And so um, it's going to be a good discussion. So let me open us up in a word of prayer. And we'll, uh, we'll dive into this subject. Lord God, we do thank you for this morning. You have, in your sovereignty, you've woken us up, Lord. And uh, with the, the coming of the day, your word tells us comes your new mercies. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for that. We, we admit that we are failed and flawed creatures, not because you created us that way, but it's because we sinned against you in your perfect plan of what you had for us. And so... Lord, we do thank you that even when uh, we sin, you sent Christ to die for us, uh, to, to be put in our place, Lord, to, uh, to fix the right which uh, we have wronged. And so, Lord, we praise you today. We ask that today as we uh, study your word, Lord, that we would be convicted of the areas of which uh, we lack in godliness, but Lord, that you would also strengthen our areas of godliness as well that we might continue to, to live a life that is pleasing to you. So, Father, we ask that you would speak to us even during this time, that we might learn what worship is and what work is and um, how they relate, so that we can be more prepared to, uh, to live a life uh, that is glorifying to you. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so, our culture tends to compartmentalize many things in our lives, meaning we love to think about sacred things. We, we have church on Sunday mornings. We go to church maybe Sunday evenings. Then Monday morning starts the work week. We make it all the way maybe to Wednesday afternoon, and then we put on our church cap again, and then we make it all the way through the rest of the week. Then we're ready for church again on Sunday. Or... Sunday church, Monday work, Monday afternoon when we're home, put on our parenting hat, right? And then I'm putting our spouse hat. Okay, I'm, I'm um, speaking with my spouse. I need to make sure her needs are being met, make sure I'm serving her. Tuesday, back to the work grind. And it's, it's all separated rather than being under just the whole tabernacle, really, God is really the top and the bottom. He's the foundation, and of which the umbrella of which everything falls under. And so I know for my generation, we're, we're huge in this compartmentalizing aspect, you know, especially as you get younger, younger children with sports and all these different hats, band, all those many things, we forget all these things should be used for the glory of God and be used as a means to glorify Him, and where we can be used to share the gospel. So, in this session, we're going to talk about how we can move from a task-centered life to a God-centered life. And my prayer uh, for us is that in this session, we'll be, learn to become better life worshipers of Jesus. So, I don't want to give it away yet, but when you think about worship, okay, what are some things uh, you think of? I'm a real big discussion, let's talk amongst ourselves 
Uh, I'm not much of a just speak at you type person. So um, I love discussion. So throw out some things. Worship, what comes to mind? Attitude. Praise, uh uh-huh. Acts. What other things? How about uh, three more? Serving, that's good. God's word and adoration. Very good. Now we can keep adding this, right? These lists could be forever long. We just run out of words to say. My dictionary is very limited, so, (laughs) you know. Um, Absolutely. Worship is attitude. Praise. Wonderful music. Prayer. Acts. Art. Serving. God's word. Adoration. All of those things can be used in that. Now, when you think about work, okay, sometimes work can have a bad connotation to it, right? Oh, I got to get up for work this morning and I want to sleep in. All right? What are some things we think of when it comes to work? Sweat. Uh huh. Stress. Purpose. Tired. I feel like blood, sweat, and tears kind of, you know, we need, to, we need to add to this, you know. What are, what are some other things? Serving. Serving. Ah, I like that. Serving is work. That's right. Fulfillment. Apologize for my writing. It's not the greatest thing. This is why I type most of my things. Provision. Highly repetitive. Everybody's like, what? Is work fun? What are some other things, maybe? Okay, now I'm just going to make an observation here real quick. It was a little more difficult to come up with descriptive words about worship. It's a whole lot easier to come up with things about work, right? We're just boom, 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 firing them off. Why is that? Let's talk about that, okay? This is what we're going to chat about. So, worship. I know y'all think, okay, music pastor, he's going to talk about music. That I'm actually not going to talk about really music at all today, being worship. If you think about it, um, worship service. When we say, hey, we're going to the worship service. A lot of times it brings connotations of we're gathering to worship, but you're being led by other people in worship. But really, we're going to offer a worship service. So when it comes, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, talking about we're joining together singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs so that the body of Christ might be edified. That's not just for the, the music minister or the instrumentalist, the choir, all of that. That's, that's not even talking about those in leading. That's talking about us, the church. So, music is a part of that in the worship service, but you're really coming to work. <laughs> it's coming to, uh, to meet with God on Sunday mornings, to, uh, to sing praises to Him, to, to hear the Word proclaimed so that our hearts and minds might be drawn towards Him and for Him, but also we come to encourage one another. And so when we join together for a worship service, it's really our work time for all of us. Amen? So, but that's only really, you're talking about maybe two hours of your week through Bible study and through corporate worship time in the worship center. So, um, I'm not going to talk about worship music today because in one sense, what we do on Sundays is very small compared to what we're doing for the Lord the remainder of the week. Does that make sense? So, I believe that we all want to understand how to become better worshipers of Jesus. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here this morning. Is that right? 
Cool. When speaking of worship, there's this idea that we're all worshiping something. So we've all heard that, you know, the phrase, well, you know, we're all worshiping or idolizing something. Even non-Christians can worship something, right? We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to approach worship as those of us who understand what worship is and who it is directed to. So I'd like to offer um, you this definition of worship. I'm going to define it today for our discussion as a humble response to God based on a revelation about God. So basically, God reveals truths about himself, whether it be his character, his nature, his work, what he does, and then we respond with something. So God reveals he is holy, he is righteous, he is the creator of the universe. How do we respond? Our response is our worship to those truths. So that can either be through obedience, can be disobedience, it can be confession of sin, thanksgiving, adoration, just many avenues of, of which God reveals and we respond. So I think in your notes, it kind of has that there. And we just want to keep with that theme of worship is God revealing equals God reveals, we respond. Okay, so let's take a look at a few examples of Old Testament where this happens. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 8. This is Moses at the giving of the second set of Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. As I read this, listen for both of these things. What is God revealing about himself? And what's the response here? Exodus 34, verses 5 through 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. So what revelation did God give about himself? Did you hear? Just shout him out. Compassionate and gracious, good. Slow to anger, mm-hmm. just. He's faithful, right? Forgiving, exactly. Loving, very good. So there's a whole bunch that God revealed about himself right there, right? Now we see a response of Moses. What was Moses' response? Yes, bowed down and worshipped. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't the opposite way. God revealed, he responded. Let's look at the prophet Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. We all know this. This is when Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord. We'll read verses 1 through 8. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth, and with it said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin forgiven. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So what's some revelation that you see about God? He's holy. Yeah, the seraphim are proclaiming that, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So you're seeing his holiness. You're seeing his power. All of these things. And guess what? Isaiah's response is immediately following that, right? Verse 5, he recognizes his sinfulness based on the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. So he responds with confession, right? Then, check it out again. The voice of the Lord says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Upon recognizing the holiness of God and everything like that, he confesses sin, but also what is his next response? Obedience. Yes, Lord, I will go for you. Based on because I've seen your majesty, I've seen your power, I've seen your work. I put faith in you and I will follow you. Isn't that awesome? It's all based upon God revealing himself, and then we have a response. Let's jump to the New Testament now. John chapter 1. It's kind of like adult Bible drill, right? So I'm choosing all the good ones, right? I'm not saying find Hezekiah or anything like that, right? <laughs> John chapter 1. We're going to look at the calling of Nathaniel to Jesus. Let's start in uh, verse 43 of chapter 1. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Well, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Well, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Well, you will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, this is pretty neat. Pretty neat right here. And I hope you're reading this as revelation and response. Okay, so Nathaniel comes on to the theme onto the whole scene. First, 
he's wondering, does anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Nazareth was just kind of like your normal little city of which really it wasn't a suburbia. It wasn't anything flashy about it. It was just a normal little town, right? So he's like, can anything really good or majestic or amazing really come out of, out of the city of Nazareth? Which is awesome that Christ came out of Nazareth, okay? The second thing, he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, in our context, we would say that person is very strange. They need to go to a psychiatric ward, right? But in this case, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God, Almighty God, knower of everything. And so that's all Jesus had to say. And what's Nathaniel's response? Take a look at it. Someone read it out to me in, uh, let's see, verse 49 and 50. Perfect. One thing, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Think about that. Immediate revelation that Jesus Christ, completely omniscient, all-powerful, could see everything. Nothing like that, folks, has ever happened before, right? Nor will it happen again. Jesus, the Son of God, really showed, Nathaniel, there's no way I could have been where you were because I was here the whole time. You walked to me, and I told you where you were. His confession, you are the Messiah. When he just said, was there anything good coming out of Nazareth? This is not the Messiah. Give me a break. You know, this is not it. Heart change, belief in Christ as the Messiah, just on that small little fact, I saw you. And Jesus responds, this is really funny, and Lord forgive us when we, we need a little bit more experience. He says, that's all it took for you to believe? Really? Blessed be Nathaniel, right? That's all it took for you to believe. Well, if you think that is great, behold everything else that you're going to witness. The, the Son of God taking on the sins of the world and rescuing us from sin. Folks, that gets me excited. So we've looked at three responses so far. Two old, one new, of positive, good, holy responses to the revelation about God, who he is. But there's also another side of things. There's also another response. Let's take a look at the Pharisees. Same book, John chapter 11. This is uh, with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We all know that story. We, um, we know a little bit of the background. Let's start in verse 40, right there in John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw that he, what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So many believed just in the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Others 
went to tell the Pharisees to do a little gossiping. Let's go on with verse 47. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So, here it is, folks. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So he says, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That is one response. Jesus revealed at this point that he was more powerful than death. There was no gimmick. Lazarus did not appear to be dead. There was no mistake, he was dead. And then in verse 47, we have the Pharisees' response. What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs, if we go on like this, all men will believe in him. Well, we certainly don't want that, right? Because if people believe in Jesus and not what the word that the Pharisees are saying, well, all of a sudden their livelihood's gone, their power's gone. It all goes to the Lord, right? So, verse 53. This is their response based upon the revelation that Jesus is God. So, from that day on, they planned to kill him. So, Jesus revealed that he was God in the flesh, and they responded by refusing to believe, and that would lead to sin. Not just murder, but eternal sin for a lack of belief in him. So we have two responses. We can either take God at his word, believe in him, be obedient, or we reject it and continue doing what's right in our own eyes. And we'll die in our sin. So remember, worship is twofold. God reveals, we respond. We talked about responses of people in the Bible based upon what they learned about God. So let's move on to now our work. We listed a ton of examples about work. When we think about work, we think about something that you know, we do for a career. Because uh, what's the first question we ask somebody when we meet them? What do you do for a living, right? That's the first thing. We don't say, uh, you know, are you a Christ follower or, or not, you know, which maybe we should think about that. It would be countercultural to ask that, you know. But the first thing we ask, what do you do for a living? You know, if you're sitting on the plane next to somebody or, or something, and um, then, then y'all can, can chat about that. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, work is not just, as we know, um, just blood and sweat and earning a paycheck. Uh, work is a whole lot more. And so I'd like to um, offer this definition for work to you. It's in your notes. Work is any activity in which one exerts physical strength or mental faculties to do or perform something. So even just thinking about waking up exerts a mental faculty, right? <laughs> At least it does for me. <laughs> Oh, rolling over. I don't really want to get out of this bed. But that exerts some mental strength, right? And then you got to have the physical strength to roll over, roll out of bed, all of those things. So 
in essence, what I am saying to us all, work is our entire life. Even while we're dreaming, we're working. Our, our, our mental capacity doesn't shut off. Everything is work. And so uh, it's any activity. It is, it is our entire life. So let's check out the book of Genesis um, in chapter 2, verse 15. A lot of this ties in exactly what Pastor Keith and, and what everybody else is saying about work. And that's one of the beautiful things, folks. God's word is our source of knowledge and wisdom. And so it's consistent. Of course, we're going to have the same answer when it comes to work, if we base it upon the Word of God, right? And so uh, that should excite us, that God is non-changing, that we made Himself known to us, and that His, his words are true. So in Genesis 2.15, this is after God creates man. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. We talked about last night that uh, this idea of cultivating and, and keeping is not necessarily picking the weeds and all of those things because those things were a result of sin. But cultivating it was pretty much like harvesting, that type of thing, just enjoying the fruit, what, what God was providing for them. So it's just a beautiful picture that God was taking care of Adam and Eve and their job was just to be good stewards with it and to, to manage it in a sense. Let's move on to Genesis 1.28. So back up a little bit. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We've talked about this. Roll over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything little thing that moves on the earth. Their God-given rule was to govern rule and cultivate it, like we said, to work it in order to have an active role in God's creation. How neat is that? This was not a result of, of sin. Work existed, as we talked about, before sin existed. It was like, I think Keith said it beautifully yesterday about, um, you know, he used the example of his son and said, you know, I want to give my son something to, to be proud of that he did, but also I take pleasure in it and seeing my child work. And he get, when we all finish a task, we feel really good about it. Hopefully, if it was a good job done, we can have some sense of completion with it, you know. I love to woodwork, and so when I do woodworking, and it turns out well, and it turns out square, I am pleased. But when it doesn't, I usually get the sledgehammer, and well, that's confession on my part. Sometimes I get angry with it. Start all over, right? Pull all those nails and screws out. Let's start over, you know. But there is joy in finishing something, and when it finishes well. And a lot of that is, is the same idea of how, how God was allowing Adam and Eve to rule over creation at this point. So, and I'll keep coming to this. Worship, God reveals, the people respond. Adam and Eve had an open fellowship with God. They knew he was the creator. They saw his glory and majesty and power on a daily basis. Their response was to work and care for his creation. Somewhere down the line, their understanding of who he is became skewed, right? And they sinned against him. I think it's important God didn't cause them to sin, but their error of belief in who he is did cause them to sin. And there's a little nugget of truth there for us. It's not enough or good enough for us to believe in God or to have a semi-understanding of the truth. Scripture says that even demons believe in God, right? We must believe God, take him at his word. 
So there's a difference between believing in and believing God. And so we know the whole story of Adam and Eve, right? The serpent says, well, God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because then you will be like him, understanding good and evil. Well, I'm sure they were like, ooh, well, God is powerful. God created us. Look at the beauty of this garden. If I can be like God, if I can have a little bit of that, man, that sounds really awesome. They believed in God, but they didn't believe God at the moment when it was said, do not do this. They saw his power, the beautiful things of his power, but they didn't really see his power to where it caused what we would say fear, a healthy fear and trembling reverence for that power. And they sinned. So it's really important for us, convicting to me as well, are we believing in God or are we believing God and saying, thus saith the Lord, that's it. Say, Lord, your word is true. It is perfect. I may not like what you say because it causes me to recognize my selfishness and sinfulness, but I believe you, not what I want to believe about you. Does that make sense? Colossians 3, 16, 17 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We talked a little bit about this. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So what's the first thing that we saw in Colossians 3.16 before it was singing or praise or thanksgiving? Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly with all wisdom, then it flows out to everybody else, teaching one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing. Then you have attitude of thankfulness. But all of that springs out of where? The Word of God, right? Understanding correctly who God is. When all that is at the forefront, everything else follows. So, I'd like to submit to you today that our work is worship, and that our worship is work. So anything that you do, our whole definition of work, anything you do that exerts physical or mental strength, as a created being of Almighty God, is your act of worship to Him. So the fact that you're being here today, you're learning, studying God's Word, that's a form of work, right? Work is a, really a discipline type thing, you know? And so, waking up in the mornings, say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today, but I know that you are holy. You have created this day for me to be obedient to you. I want to know more of you based on your word, and I want to serve you in a way that glorifies you. This is every area. And a lot of times we think of, well, I'll worship and work for the kingdom when I go on a mission trip. Or I'll worship and work for the kingdom when I'm in my Sunday school class and I set up the care calendar for, for other folks. Those things are good things. But it's a 24-7 worship is work. And it's not just what we do on Sunday mornings. It's our entire uh, lifestyle, right? So, you know, um, on July 4th, you have the fireworks show. And at the very end... The fireworks shows, number one, don't last as long as they should. I, I'm just saying that. 
personal conviction. I'd like, you know, you're going to sit out there. I mean, I want a good 20-minute show, right? The last one, well, I'm not going to, it's not important. But at the very end, they shoot off like 100 fireworks, right? And it's really cool, really loud, beautiful colors. Well, it's going to be kind of like this. I'd like to give you a few scriptures, boom, 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 uh, about what our um, work and worship should be. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God created us. So our job is to glorify him. That is our work. Now, out of those things, we, we can work and earn a paycheck. We can work, those of us with aging parents, you can work and serve your parents. That's work, right? It's a whole lot of work with that. You know, as grandparents, as spouses, as parents, that's all work too. Even playing, right? Work hard, play hard type thing. Even in that work, be about the gospel, you know? Train, teach, admonish, like what we, we talked about, from the word, because God has revealed himself. Romans 12.1, Paul says, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There it is again. I'm not a music pastor, necessarily. I'm not just a person who loves to work with his hands and do woodworking. I'm not just a soon-to-be father or husband. I am a follower of Christ who's been created by Christ for Christ, right? Those other things are a part of who I am in Christ. But first, I am a follower of Christ, which means my work is for his worship. Y'all following me? Yes? Cool. In Mark 12, 30 through 31, here's the greatest commandment thing, right? We sang that kid's song a few weeks ago that was really, really hard to sing. <laughs> and we slowed that puppy down so slow, and it was still hard to sing, you know. But um, the text is very good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Y'all are singing in your head, right? You can hear it. Yeah, you got the two. I don't think Mark left anything out there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything is to show that God is the author and the, the father of your life, right? And then, of course, let us not forget the Great Commission. All this is well and good if we recognize who God is, that He's holy, He's righteous, He's just, He's our creator, He's our father. Um, it's all good if we confess Him as Lord and put our faith in Christ for salvation. But it doesn't just end there. We can be thankful, we can adore Him, we can do all the right things, but something is required of us, not just faith in Him, right? Obedience. So let's talk about the Great Commission, right? All this is well and good, but if we don't take what we know about God and admonish one another to worship Him and to join us to put their faith and trust in Him, it's all for naught. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Mark 10, 45. This is Jesus' words as well. For not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So our job as, as Christians in every area is to serve, to worship, and to work. Any questions about any of those things? Cool. We know that, right? And, but I really haven't talked much about the workplace. When we talk about work, a lot of it was workplace-related things, right? Um, but I would like to sh- share a little bit about how we can serve God in our workplaces. For some of us, there was some negativity on some of the board. I did like the fun. We should be able to have fun at work. Um, but all of our places of, of work are different, right? We work with different folks. And uh, the whole thing when we're kids, learning to share our toys and, and play well together transcends into our adult life, right? Some people just didn't get it, okay? And that's okay. But for those of us who, who try to be a team player and things like that, it can be very difficult in, in work spots. But let's see if maybe at some point in our life we probably feel this way. You work hard. Your boss and employer, since you're working hard, continue to de- demand more of you, less pay, less time with your family, But in order to keep your job, you need to work more, right? You already feel like a pawn who's being moved and used. You no longer feel appreciated. You no longer enjoy going to work. It's Sunday evening before you go back to work, and you're already looking forward to the next weekend. Does that resonate? Yeah. Uh, Friends, that work atmosphere can beat you down. Uh, But let me encourage you to think of, of work in this way. Think of your workplace as God's gift to you. It's your ministry ground. Your boss is not necessarily who you need to please. It's your Father in heaven whom you're aiming to glorify and to please. And number one, who, and who knows? Through your, your focus to glorify God and to, to be His light in that, you could see a lot of fruit in your workplace, like we we talked about this morning. You know, not all of us are called to be pastors. Not all of us are called to be missionaries full-time. But we're all called, as Christians, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be lights for Him, to be examples of Christ to those around us. That's all the same calling, just in different avenues, right? So... He may create opportunities for spiritual conversations. And the Lord may also, wouldn't it be awesome, if he increased your effectiveness at work. When you have a kingdom mindset, that is that God has placed you in that career to be the light of Christ, to honor him, all of a sudden your work has more purpose and more joy than just to please your boss, just to punch that card. You have a higher purpose, worship Please, God, Lord, help me, even though I'm beat down, be a light for you and pray that you would be willing and pleased to save my coworkers and that I could see the fruit in that. How sweet it would be to come home every day exhausted, knowing that you worked hard for the glory of the Lord, 
in your workplace rather than coming home exhausted from the misery of your place of employment because you're putting all your effort into pleasing something that will never be satisfied, right? I'd like to share a little story of one of our uh, church members who's here, and they're, they're really in, uh, involved in our student ministry. And um, he works in sales, and he was just telling me this story just a few weeks ago that really for like the last six to eight months, he's been miserable at work. And um, it's that type of situation. He's, he's not meeting his quota. Um, well, let me say this. He has been meeting his quota, so every time they jack up his quota a little bit more. So now he's unable to meet it, basically. And he's been really upset and um, held his boss kind of in a bad light. He wasn't looking forward to going to work. It was causing him to miss more time with his family because he had to sell more. Um, and so he became really bitter about it, so much so that he really just wanted to throw in the towel. But um, he's been being discipled here at the church, and we've been talking about this whole idea of, you know, how do we respond to who God is, and how can we be a light in our workplace? Work isn't just so we can earn a paycheck. It's really the avenue of which we can be uh, and reflect the image of Christ. We redeem those things, right? And so um, we've been working with him for a, a long time about seeing your, your workplace as a gift from the Lord and just seek to glorify the Lord. That's all you have to do. Your attitude, the way that you conduct your sales, all these things, just leave it up to the Lord and honor him in your life and who knows what will happen. Well, it was a few weeks ago, his boss called him into her office, and she said, I want to use the name Zion, because you won't know who that is. Zion, you, uh, you have, um, we've witnessed a change in you over these last few months. Um, and your, your sales have gone up, but that's not even really what's important. We've, we've noticed that you, you have more spring in your step, that you're more pleasant to be around. What's going on? And he said, and I kid you not, and this is what's awesome. He said, well, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm not working to please you. I'm working to please my heavenly father. She's not a Christian. But right there, I'm telling you folks, seed planted. He doesn't work for a Christian company, but you just never know. And his boss recognized that something is going on, even just his attitude. And it created an opportunity where she said, just a normal boss conversation, right? Hey, what's going on? We noticed you're doing a lot better. Uh, you're, you're a happier person to be around. Uh, all these things, what's going on? Well, I, I was working for the wrong reason. I was working to get that paycheck, working to get that check mark from you. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? But I realized my bitterness and everything was because I was working for the wrong person wrong reasons, wanting to hear it from my boss rather than from God. And that is where our fulfillment is, folks. And who knows? I mean, that's a beautiful story. And it always doesn't work out that way to where your cells take care of themselves on all of those things. And who knows? That boss still may fire you. But what the thing they can't say is that person didn't, didn't love the Lord, you know? And so uh, I challenge you with that. So here's the key. Worship is our work. 
our work is to know and love God and to love people. That's our job. You see, there's only one compartment. God is the foundation, the most important part. And from there, everything else are avenues of which we have the privilege to be used by Him. In your job on the ball field, golf course, as a, as a spouse, as a parent, uncle, aunt, grandparent, or even as you're just checking out at the grocery store, even when the Mormons knock on your door, every area of your life is meant to bring glory to God because you are His light bearer. You are meant to bring glory to Him. So don't only live it, speak it, and share it. For you are the means by which the kingdom of God is revealed through His Word. So be God-centered, not task-centered. Amen? Any questions about that? That's very good. So a lot of times we do show up, you know, unprepared or cold, if you will. You know, and I think it's in Hebrews to discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. You know, disciplining yourselves or running a race, you got to stretch too, you know, and you got to prepare for that race. And discipline comes in a lot of that is everything we do, we've, including the Word of God. We just don't show up and worship and declare He is holy. It's not empty praise. It's all based upon the Word of God and who He's revealed Himself. Same way with work, right? We can't just show up and give a, a spiel, hopefully, and pretend like we, we know something about it. I think about tomorrow, an uh, ordination um, meeting, right? I, I always learn, and too, at my, our master's level, we had comprehensive exams. And the wisdom I got was, Matt, when the professors ask you a question, if you don't know, tell them you don't know. Because if you try to wing it and you keep on talking, they will find it out and you'll be left really embarrassed and, you know, a huge docket. That really resonated with me. If you don't know something, be honest, I don't know, you know. Rather than trying to sound intelligent, because all you're doing, you're really, you're not helping the situation. And I think what you're saying is, you know, very important. We must prepare in every situation in order to do well because it's all an avenue for the glory of God, right? If we don't prepare well, then we're not working as unto the Lord and being as beneficial as we can be. Well, thank you all. Um, I'll be out here if you want to ask me some more questions or, or talk. Love to, love to chat with you. Thank you for being um, here at this session. And uh, let's pray together. Lord, we'll continue to open our minds and hearts uh, for the rest of the day. Lord God, we praise you that we can come and uh, meet in a place like this and, and learn from your word. We thank you that you are indeed the giver of knowledge and wisdom. And so we praise you for that, Lord. We, uh, we say that our, our minds, um, left to their own devices, seek our own pleasure. And so forgive us of that, Lord. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, um, that gives us the power to, uh, to press on in the things of God. Help us to, be, uh, to see work as, as worship, and everything that we do is our way of glorifying you, and it is work, because, Lord, you created work to be good, uh, to take pleasure in seeing your children living for your glory. And so help us to do these things. Help us to think deeply about this. Help us to think rightly. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.